I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Don't Know Her podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Michael. And we are here again to champion a star of the big screen um, that we just really want to have a nice old discussion about. Um, But we're taking things maybe in a slightly different direction for the next handful of episodes. But I'm going to let... Michael, tell us um, about that direction. Yes, I mean, this sounded good on paper, but now that I have to explain it, I feel like it's a bit um, of a a non-thing. But we're going to be going in even deeper into what we are here to do, talking about underappreciated actors and talking about underappreciated actors who are underappreciated by me and Scott. And this all started because... We have a brilliant guest um, who we will introduce very shortly who brought somebody to us who we just felt like, well, wow, like, why have we not focused on this person before? Like, we know nothing about them. There was nothing really about their career that had really jumped out to us on film in a singular sort of way. And yet then when we sat back and watched the films and thought about this person, it's like, yes, we need to focus more on people we don't appreciate ourselves. So I'm very excited to start kick it off with this subject, but also our guest, who is the one and only Owen Daly. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what an honor to have inspired um, an upcoming round of episodes. Um, yeah, and I agree. Let us praise and discuss the performers who we don't discuss in praise enough. Exactly, yeah. It's too easy for us. We'll always, you know, a Diane Weist, Marsha Gayhard, Jennifer Coolidge, Jean Smart, like it's all these sorts of people. Victor Garber, if you're my personal preference of someone I always will champion randomly, <laughs> um, who I'm not sure anyone cares to hear me talk about that. But yeah, I think it is exciting to, to kind of question that more. And, and who have you brought to us, Owen? I have brought um, the surprisingly American actress um, to some people um, for for a multitude of reasons. Um, I have brought um, Nepo Child, Jennifer Ely, to... Fabulous. And what a topical choice. So multi-layered. And I'm glad that you said the the bit about um, surprisingly American because uh, that was almost a route we were going to go down with the, this kind of miniseries. Like, is there anyone else who's surprisingly not from where we think they are? Yeah, honestly, I, I just can't, I could not believe it. When I read it, I was like, no, this can't be real. Now, she did, as we go into, spend time in the UK and America, she's growing up. And her mother, as you've hinted to already, is Rosemary Harris, who is a very English um, actor. <laughs> very English actor. <laughs> that sounds almost like an insult. <laughs> anyway, but she's English, so that's true. Um, but yeah, I'm so delighted. Jennifer Ely's someone who I absolutely would be... Like, has a place in my heart because of the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. She's a wonderful Elizabeth Bennet and even though now it's a bit twee, I guess, aesthetically and stuff, and, you know, the way they adapted it um, visually um, at most, I guess. But it's still lovely. Like watching bits of it in preparation was so nice. Um, it's just like a wholesome celebration of Austin and love and romance and 
Englishness in a in a positive way. <laughs> um, and and yeah, so yeah, to think of her in film, God, honestly, it took me a few minutes. Apart from the King's Speech and Zero Dark Thirty, I was like, I don't know if I know any other movies, but I have seen loads. I just hadn't really clocked or or remembered she was in them, which sounds really awful, but that is the truth. I was just going to say, where did you first come to Jennifer Owen? Why why have you chosen to bring her to us? The reason, um, the reason I I wanted to discuss Jennifer Ely has a lot to do with a recent film of hers um, and a film that I know you've discussed recently on the podcast because of another brilliant actress and um, that film being She Said. And just, I've kind of... It made me realize um, how infrequent, very, how small her roles can be in a lot of films that she's in. But I think she said kind of got to the point, got to the stage where it's like, it doesn't matter how small the role is, she can excel regardless. And I think having seen that performance this past year, I I just fell down the rabbit hole of, oh, I'm reminded of how great she is. Love that. That's perfect. Because, yes, there has been so much. I guess more recently for her, she said for sure, I think she's perfect casting in that film really importantly because I think that film in particular commands a lot of... You you need to have sympathy for these characters and that should go without anything else, you know, because of what happened to the people that she said depicts, of course you're going to feel sympathy. But there's something about her casting which profoundly brings you in even more. There's something about her eyes and her nature in that film where you, you really feel for her and really feel for the struggle that she went through and you can feel it kind of ruminating throughout her sort of being. And I think that's why she's wonderful and, and a great mm. way to feel that she needs to be championed more what was your the what was the first sort of film you remember seeing of um jennifer's the first um i think the first kind of film where i, I remembered her um came late into my film watching career <laughs> um life <laughs> um, is probably zero dark 30 um, like I'd seen films of her before then, films of hers before then, but I think that was the one where I was like, okay, who's this person? Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I, I don't, I guess we can get into what happens to her in that film and what she, her role is in that film, but she just sort of had a, an energy that was very exciting to experience. And I was like, okay you people need to cast you more and then i think that role kind of put me down the rabbit hole of looking into her life and seeing what she's done and finding out that she didn't really so much before yeah no for sure that's a, a a wonderful choice um was was that the first place you remember her from or were you a viewer of pride and prejudice the bbc tv series from your younger years so i was i i'm only a recent um I'd say in the last five years watcher of that uh, BBC miniseries. There's a lot of, there's a lot of miniseries in general that I'm a bit late to. I will, I will freely admit. And I think that was one that I'd known about, but then it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I sat down and watched it. Nice. 
Well, I mean, I'm even later in that I have not actually sat down and watched all of it. I have seen bits of it, like I'm sure many people have. Um, would you, and I know you've seen it as well, Michael, would you both recommend that miniseries? Should I sit down and watch it? Um, I think so. Well, I, I mean, I feel so biased, yeah, but like this is a series like my mother absolutely loved before I'd seen it, and we had got the DVD, and I feel like we watched some of it together, and it just was... I just have such a like warm feeling towards it. And I really, really, really like the Joe Wright adaptation of Pride and Prejudice 2 with Keira Knightley. But there is something about the TV show um, that I think is really special. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not cinematic the way we get TV series now. So it, it, it does feel a bit like of its time. But she's glorious. Her and Colin Firth, who were dating at the time, I, I believe, they have such uh-huh. a good chemistry, and I just think she's wonderful. Um, I mean, I, I love Elizabeth Bennet. Um, I like a lot of Jane Austen um, protagonists, but yeah, so I would recommend it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd absolutely love to just sit down. If I had the time, I'd probably watch it every year. Oh, wonderful. Okay, I do actually have it on DVD in in one of the many bags like cluttering up my room, so maybe I'll, I'll dig out and actually sit down and properly watch it. Um, thank you for that recommendation. I just wanted to pick up on one more thing, I think, before we start venturing down the path, because you made a very interesting comment, Owen. You said that in Zero Dark Thirty there's an energy she has, and I think you're tapping into something that I feel about her, but I can't quite put my finger on it. So sorry to put you on the spot, but do you can you talk to what you think that energy is? Because I would love to someone to help me out and figure out what I see in her. Yeah, I mean... Okay, on the spot, here we go. Um, <laughs> I think it, it's sort of hard to explain because the energy, it's it's sort of an energy I feel about a lot of, for lack of a better word, character actresses. Um, it's very much investing in the character in that certain project. She sort of, she's very, especially in that film, she's very like free and fun and... Um, informed at the same time like there's even like that zero to 30 is very much telling us like a story an important story um and she it's just she just kind of brings out certain fun elements from her co-stars like i think of the multiple scenes that because jessica chastain is probably her most frequent uh, co-star in that film and i think there's something that she brings out of Chastain is Maya that is very surprising. And I think it's a, probably a surprising, um, oh, God, I'm struggling for her. It's probably something, it, it's, it's always something surprising that she brings out of her co-stars. And I think that's the energy that they mm. relate to because I'm not, I don't know what going to give me every time, but I think that was definitely on the same zero dark 30. Yeah. Uh, from watching her, like watching these films very close together and thinking about her ability on screen to be this character actor who is, it's like there are similarities between the character she's doing or how she's utilized, but she is never commanding the screen any more than the leading co-star she has. Like she knows what the story is, you know, fulfilling and what her place is, but she has an ability to be like an every person in a way and like talk sense and sometimes to the protagonist. If you think about 
a quiet passion she certainly is there as like a meter to what is happening with Emily Dickinson the same with Zero Dark Thirty when she's trying to tell Jessica Chastain to you know there's more to life than what you're doing um, but she's never so you're invested in her character to the point that it, how it affects the protagonist but you have this confidence that this character will be fine and even when we see them not succeed in certain films you never feel like pity them or anything you're like well that's what they're you know they're a real person this is a real sort of believable journey for this character i don't know there's something like really relatable about her and um, which i think we don't get from many movie stars let's say like i think that's the difference between say being a leading woman in a rom-com you know like you would never think i don't know why this person's in my head but meg ryan in those roles or sandra bullock or julia roberts none of those would ever work do you know i just believe jennifer ely is this wonderful sort of human who's able to fit into the mold of those characters and to be able to elevate the protagonist's story in a really exciting way and and like not take away from it which i guess is the double-edged sword of me not really remembering her in certain movies is is because her place is to support the whole thing even in she said <clears throat> like i think samantha morton comes in and has the big like cameo moment in terms of uh one of the um victims of uh, sexual assault coming forward jennifer ely's is kind of like a slow burn like we watch her be intimidated a little bit um or a lot not a little bit and then she does have a conversation and that conversation like this quiet sort of you know a re reveal of of what they had gone through and the impact of that and there's no unnecessary drama it's all to help the story go along and to relate to the overall theme i don't know there's something really glorious about somebody being able to be absolutely brilliant without having to chomp at the scenery which i think a lot of actors who we probably traditionally like fall in love with much easier do there's no jennifer coolidge like coming in for a little quiet scene to make <laughs> to make um a lovely little moment focus on story if jennifer coolidge is walking into a scene it is about jennifer coolidge <laughs> do you know so i'm great that jennifer ely is um you brought her to us because yeah, I think that's such a quiet mm -hmm. performer who is so amazing. Um, she just does so much, basically, with her face. And I bet she's a dream to work with in terms of writers, directors, uh, co-stars. Yeah, I, I'm, I am a little bit in love with her after uh, researching, preparing for this. Yay, that's ideal. <laughs> You've converted ideal. us. Mm -hmm. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I I to say I love that you you've mentioned her sort of quietness and not necessarily going loud because that's just knowing that she's a a, a, a supremely gifted stage actress mm. and the fact that she can play it so small on screen is really impressive. Yeah. I would. I've never seen her on stage. I don't don't know if any of you guys i mean she hasn't done that much stage work in the in in the uk and um in europe recently but yeah like her presence is really powerful but quiet which i guess is you know as yours as well as you know being able to modulate it being these broad things to smaller for screen i still imagine her walking on stage would be really impactful just to, just something about her presence i find very 
comforting but also alarming and i really like that <laughs> yeah no that's that's a very interesting way of putting it comforting yet alarming we'd had a discussion um before recording this and michael you had mentioned that there was something like like ghostly about her or even like yeah. haunted or something and i do think that kind of really works there's something in her eyes and maybe comforting yet alarming is then the perfect way of of looking at it in certain things i am just kind of thrown by her and i find the image of her very very memorable so my first time i can think of like really knowing her was contagion probably and yes from the film but even from all of the marketing before the film from the trailers the um promo stills and everything that came out before that film was released her eyes in particular conveyed so much and that is the image which sticks with me um, more than anything else in a film full of things that, that do stick with you and, and do last, that's for sure. And I think it's exactly that. It's um, comforting yet alarming. I love it. What an interesting way to be. Well, I hope that's what I am when I enter a room. It's comforting yet alarming. <laughs> Less of the comforting, more of the alarming. <laughs> Depends on the room. Um... <laughs> Okay, shall I dive into the life and work of Jennifer Ely? Yeah, go on. Okay, so, so the wildest thing we're going to say, again, as you've already mentioned, Owen, is that she is not English. She is American-born. Um, she was born on the 29th of December in 1969 in Winston-Salem Winston in North Carolina, which oh. I, just don't, I just don't know why that's still, even though I've known this for a few weeks now, I find it wild, wild that she's American, but good for her. Her father is a writer, or was the writer John Ely, and her mother is Oscar nominee and Aunt May, um, the OG Aunt May, Rosemary Harris. And Rosemary Harris being her mother um, leads to her uh, debut uh, on stage in a 1973 production of A Streetcar Named Desire. Or Streetcar Named Desire? don't know what I've just said, um, which her mother, Rosemary, played Blanche Dubois, and I'm assuming uh, Jennifer played the baby at the end of the show. So what a way to enter the world of acting. Um, she does spend her childhood in both the UK and the US, um, attending several schools, um, continuing into drama training, where she split her time between the North Carolina School of the Arts and Central School of Speech and Drama in London. She makes her professional acting debut in the 1991 production art of Tartuffe for the Peter Hall Company, so starting pretty well. Um, and she gets second prize for the Ian Charleston Awards, which is a huge award for newcomers in the UK. Um, so she's bet by a person called Joe Dixon, but she beats Adrian Lester, Ian Glenn, Tom Hollander, Hugh Bonneville and Caroline Quinton. Um, so they become they're right. like runners up to her. So what a fun little mix of actors! If you were to just look at their trajectories, what a wild time! Um, mm. I'm most surprised she'd be Caroline Quentin. Okay, we won't have any dissing of um, of Caroline. <laughs> no, no, on this. Sure. Caroline, who actually is a current Olivier nominee for something at the Love National Theatre. Um, so Peter Hall must have absolutely mm. loved working with her in Tartuffe because he asked her to star in The Chamomile Lawn, a 1992 television four-episode show 
um, where she is reunited with Rosemary Harris again. Um, they share the same role in different time periods, which is a bit of a novelty. Oh. That's quite fun. Like that. Yeah. Um, she has a few more TV credits to her, her name over the next while, including playing an Austrian empress in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which sounds really fun. Her first film comes in 1994 with Backbeat, um, which is a film about the Beatles uh, pre-fame, and she plays Cynthia Powell, John Lennon's first wife. Um, not, not a huge hit, but, you know, not a bad debut either. But it's 1995 where we get Pride and Prejudice that really launches her. So, as we've mentioned, Jennifer plays Elizabeth Bennet, in the BBC adaptation of Jane Austen's novel, um, alongside Colin Firth as Mark Darcy, um, Alison Steadman as the uh, Mrs. Bennet. It's such a good cast, yeah. Sorry, everyone should watch this show. It's really terrific. Miss Bennet, please allow me to apologise for not receiving it properly just now. You were not leaving. We were, sir. I think we must. I hope you're not displeased with Pemberley. No, not at all. Then you approve of it? Very much. I think there are few who would not approve. But your good opinion is rarely bestowed and therefore more worth the earning. And Jennifer Ely, I feel like herself and Colin Farrell overnight kind of become famous because of this. Like, this is a huge, huge hit. She also wins the TV BAFTA for Best Actress. Now... I guess the trajectory which people would assume would be, you know, a film, a rom-com, you know, all those sorts of things. But actually what happens is she joins the Royal Shakespeare Company. She, uh, and the same year, so she appears in plays such as Richard III and The Relapse. Um, and her films don't, uh, the film career doesn't happen till 97. Which, so I'm going to assume that was an active choice on Jennifer's part. It's like, I'm going to do theatre, you know, I, or figure out what I want to do. I don't know, but it is interesting because you'd assume there'd be loads of roles, um, potential roles, or at least other big TV shows that would reach wider people. Who knows? But the 90s also, as we talk about often, people didn't jump between TV and film in quite the same way as they do today. So maybe that wasn't going to be a thing. But in 1997, she gets to she works on two films with some of the most amazing people. So firstly, Paradise Road, which is um, a film that depicts a group of women who are imprisoned by the Japanese during World War II. And it stars Glenn Close, Frances McDormand, Pauline Collins, Juliana Margulies and Kate Blanchett and Jennifer Ely, among many others. Um, it's directed um, by the guy who's... I can't think of his name off the top of my head, who did Driving Miss Daisy. Um, I haven't watched it all. I watched quite a lot of it. It is... It is... An in, it's trying to do an awful lot of things. It's it's not a perfect film. I don't know if either of you have seen Paradise Now. Paradise Road. No, I have not seen. Um, yeah, no, I've seen Paradise Road um, a while ago when I was on kind of my Cape Blanchett um, fully watch. Because I, I, I believe... Is this... Is that her film yeah, debut? Yeah, that's her first proper debut too. Oh, wow, yeah. is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a kind of it's a forgettable film for sure, <laughs> which is wild because you have all of these 
these acting stars and ones who would go on to even like you have Juliana Margulies like during her ER phase, yeah. basically after her ER phase. And like, you said people and it's just so forgettable. Yeah. Um so I, I I couldn't I wouldn't recommend if you're no. if you're truly desperate Okay. I would watch it maybe just as a, a curiosity for completists watch. only. That makes sense because it is it is wild that with a cast like that that it's not spoken about more. So that makes complete sense to me that it is probably because yeah. it's forgettable. Yeah, and the trailer alone, you'd be like, whoa, 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 this something isn't working here. But but yeah, yeah, completists should watch it for sure. My husband is Dennis Layton Jones, Royal Malayan Volunteers. How do you? Susan McCarthy, Australian Army Nursing Corps. Adrian Partita, wife of Tea Planter. But Wild is the other film from 97, another film with a stacked cast. Um, so we, it is a film about Oscar Wilde. And I guess, I mean, maybe because we were watching it for Jennifer Ely, it almost is like a film about Oscar Wilde and two key relationships um, in his life and it kind of the arc of that. Um, so one being his wife played by uh, Jennifer Ely and another, um, I can't think of his name, Bozy, um, his first name, but played by Jude Law, who by all accounts wasn't a very nice man. Um, but it's about Oscar Wilde and his his life, basically. It does actually do more than that. It, it follows his career, what he's been making, him being imprisoned for his homosexuality. Um, it's, it's, it, there's a lot going on. We have Stephen Fry playing... Uh, Oscar Wilde, we have Orlando Bloom in his debut as, I mean, a, a prostitute being beautiful. Um, we have, oh my God, my mind's gone totally blank. We, who is the his friend, uh, the really great Welsh actor, Martin Sheen, not Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen. <laughs> Michael Sheen. Yeah, um, we have Zoe Wanamaker, we have Vanessa Redgrave doing an accent, which, uh, Lord help me, I mean... Pretty awful for an Irish accent. I thought she was trying to be Scottish at points. Um, are we always bad mouthing Vanessa Redgrave on this podcast, but that is that shocking. You are not that. me. <laughs> anyway, what do we think of? I will not have Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> exactly. Except for this. <laughs> oh no, I like her performance I, I, in general most of the time, but. I just don't know why you wouldn't cast someone that could do the accent mm -hmm. here, um, apart from for funding reasons. Um, but yeah, what do we think of Wild Guys? I think the night just. I think the nineties was just a time for people wanting to try Irish accents <laughs> and failing because this was a year after Julia Roberts' second attempt with um, Michael oh God, Collins yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I thought she was perfect as um, <laughs> but, Kitty. Um... <laughs> Um, but speaking about Wild, I, I think it's a good film. Mm -hmm. I think it's seeing this and guys were kind of side by side in talking about Ely. It is very interesting that after such a like a large breakout with Pride of she so quickly won in these supporting roles, mm -hmm. and and I guess it must, it must have been a choice on her part because it's sort of is continuing trend trend throughout the rest of her career mm. is kind of choosing the supporting direction versus being the lead, which I get. But I think she, I think she's good in Wild. I just think there's so much going on in Wild that sometimes mm. 
I, I kind of forget about her. Mm. Other than knowing that in it makes me remember. Yeah, have yeah. you guys seen um, the Rupert Everett film Happy? Oh yeah, Happy Prince. Yeah, so so this is this is where so Happy Prince covers the same time in Oscar Wilde's life. It may be a bit later and folks more in the later time. Absolutely love the Happy Prince. Um, I think oh, the Happy I Prince is it. a beautiful film in, and and achieves an awful lot and because it's focused it's focused on on a relationship that kind of leads to his destruction and it's actually like there's moments in in happy prince that will forever stay with me i'm only bringing this up because i think watching wild i totally agree with you there's so much going on that it's hard to connect to it in a way i think all the performances are are great i think it's a really engaging film i think it's you know as a queer person watching you know relatively recent history of someone who is you know should be above the law in terms of you know the world we live in in england like a rich sort of person who is celebrated uh, a white man but he is torn down and treated in such a horrific way for his sexuality is hard to stomach and i think an important thing to be sharing still for us not to take for granted all the ways we have progressed since then um but yeah as a film um it felt more like kind of like following act like it's beat by beat of someone's life and story i will say jennifer ely's part was way more interesting than i thought it was going to be as like this wife of a queer person who kind of was there for you know, to sit to be able to have these social norms, and we 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 there's gossip about her before we see her, and um, there's all kind of people laughing at her almost, uh, or she's not that she's a joke, but there's something about what Jennifer Ely's doing which gives her the strength, to, or us to believe she has the strength to be able to cope with all of that. And towards the end, when she is being so supportive and still like rooting for Oscar. I found that really, really moving. I found that the most moving scene in the film when she visits him in prison, um, both because of what Stephen Fry's doing, but Jennifer Ely as well. So I'm really glad to have seen it. Um, but yeah, I'd be recommending The Happy Prince over Wild if if you were to choose one Oscar Wilde biopic. Yeah, I would, but I would say uh, Stephen Fry is the better performance mm. even though i really like um rupert everett i think stephen fry is really really great in wild mm. uh, and it's maybe silly to compare them but it feels like a born to play situation i know there probably has always been a lot of comparisons and and love there stephen fry for oscar wilde so maybe it was just too natural and at the right time that it was just inevitable that it was going to happen i think he's great um I think Jennifer Ely is also great at at having that uh, sort of unbridled loyalty even through difficult circumstances. And again, she just has this real knack for making you feel for her in this situation and the pain that 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 she also feels. I think what she can do in these quiet moments without even saying a word, just her face, and again, it's those eyes. There's just something that's so easy to sort of, yes, get behind and feel for. And she's great for that. And Jude Law is gorgeous in it too. We, we, oh, I well, feel like sure. that's an important thing to say. 
you can you can see yeah. why you, he would lead to a destruction of your whole life um falling <laughs> in love with Jude Law. <laughs> Weirdly, or I find this weird. So the the film gets Jennifer Ely a BAFTA nomination, Best Supporting Actress, terrific, and but also Zoe Wanamaker, who I was kept expecting something to happen with Zoe Wanamaker in the film, but she doesn't. Her best bit is when Oscar leaves prison and says to her. Um, like, oh, you always know the perfect hat for the perfect occasion or something. But it's nothing to do with Zoe Wanamaker other than she's wearing the hat. Um, other than that, I wouldn't remember her in the movie. But, like, they didn't even nominate Stephen Fry. So I don't know what was going on there. But wow. nice that Jennifer Ely, um, in her only film um, BAFTA nomination, um, was recognized here. Good. Nice. She, she then goes... In another supporting role in Sunshine, starring alongside Ray Fiennes and uh, Rachel Weisz, and guess who? Rosemary Harris. Um, she has a handful of films in the noughties as well, such as Gwyneth Paltrow starring uh, Possession in 2002. Um, but it's theatre where she's being really celebrated, which includes uh, a production of Tom Stoppard's The Real Thing, where she wins the Tony Award for Best Actress by a leading sorry best performance by an actress in a leading role um and she was nominated against rosemary harris for that which which seems fun that you'd beat your mother um at, in, in a professional capacity um i know i from all that's basically it's hard to get interviews with jennifer online outside of theater and this is one question she's asked repeatedly is like was it awkward with you and your mom she's like no we were just both happy to be nominated and sure rosemary harris has however many accolades and things already. Um, so yeah, terrific. Um, she also is in a production of No Coward's Dying for Living with Dominic West and Alan Cumming. Um, and dare we say, mentioned Kevin Spacey, but she was at the Old Vic in 2005 in a production of The Philadelphia Story um, and also then went to do Macbeth as part of Shakespeare in the Park in 2006. Um, also in 2006, she wins a second Tony, second Tony for the Tom Stoppard play The Coast of Utopia, winning for featured actress in a play. Um, and I guess this theatre little bit rounds off with a production of Mr. and Mrs. Fitch with John Lithgow in 2010. So having a great old time, and if you lived in Broadway in particular, what a treat to be able to see her in all these different sorts of roles. Um, but rather excitingly, um, she, oh no, wait, sorry, I've skipped something. She, she was, around this time, going to be in Game of Thrones. So she was going to be Catelyn, Caitlin Stark? Catelyn Stark? Why can't I think of... Anyway, the the mother of the Starks, um, and she even filmed the pilot, but she felt it was too soon to return to work after the birth of her child. And so she was replaced by the absolutely brilliant Michelle Fairley. Um, but that, oh my God, if Jennifer... Um, Ely was in Game of Thrones as that character. I feel like that would have been a huge moment for her too. Right? I don't know. She would have been terrific in that part. That's a great part. Yeah. No, that I didn't actually know that was a, a possibility for her. Yeah, no, that would have mm. been fascinating to see. It's a bit like, you know, they teased us at that Naomi Watts Game of Thrones spin-off, which in my head I'm like, that'd be brilliant, but we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> for whatever reason. Um... But in 2010, she does return to the big screen, reuniting, although in a very small way, with Colin Firth. So um, it's the King's Speech, which 
I th- I feel like this is an Oscar, you know, the, King's Speech went on to win Best Picture at the Oscars, is a film that I feel like a lot of people watch. You know, nowadays I feel like sometimes films win Best Picture Oscar and lots of people haven't seen them. But I feel like the King's Speech was a big deal at the time. Um, and Jennifer Edie plays the wife of Jeffrey Rush, who is a speech therapist who is helping uh, Colin Firth, who plays George Fifth, Sixth. He plays the king and he, he has a stutter <laughs> because he was left-handed and then they made him not be left-handed. So now he has a stutter and he needs to make a speech and um, Jeffrey has to teach him. So Jennifer Ely is concerned about her husband um, because she doesn't really know what he's doing. And then suddenly she finds out that it's the king that he's working with when he turns up at the door. I'm told your husband calls my husband Bertie. And my husband calls your husband Lionel. I trust you won't call me Liz. Your Majesty, you may call me Mrs. Logan. Very nice to meet you, Mrs. Logan. Jennifer doesn't have much to do, but she's rather wonderful in it. She gets the tone of it's like a, it's like a cosy biopic film that has some like deep darker elements to it. But her part is is kind of there as a, as like a loving wife who has a bit of fun and I, I assume they would have known people watching would have got a bit of a kick out of seeing her in a scene with Colin Firth but yeah I don't know what you guys have think of The King's Speech The King's Speech is a film which happens to a lot of Oscar winners which I feel like with time people are like oh it's overrated or it's not exciting or it's bland or whatever it is um, but I quite like it I've no strong opinion on it um, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I I definitely don't hate it. There, like when people kind of get into conversations about this is the worst thing ever, I just I don't understand that because I think it's a competently made film. Like, it's not it's not seeking to offend you, and I think that's probably why it was so easy for it to sort of be that choice that everyone could get behind, and also with the campaign by that who shall not be named. <laughs> well, um, I've already mentioned Kevin Spacey. I feel like I'm just, like, mentioning anyone. <laughs> but, yes, the Weinsteins. I only say that, I only say that because of she said and how that yeah. sort of, the kind of crossover between those films, which is actually an interesting thing to mm. think about, is Jennifer Ely playing a victim of assault from Harvey Weinstein while being, I mean, in... But many, by also being in a film that was about successful for mm. him. Yeah. And probably one of the last, like, truly successful films of the Weinstein sort of era, was it? Um, I can't think off the top of my head. I think the artist, the oh, following God, yeah, year okay, was forget about the, artist, the yeah, yeah, last. Yeah. God, what a time. Like, God, he really did have control. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gosh, things have changed a lot since... His, his downfall. It really was like if it was the Weinstein machine, it was you're in. Um, mm-hmm. Taking down very mighty competitors. Um, we should also say that we are recording on the day of um, the Oscar ceremony 2023. Things are looking very different now away from the Weinstein era and the in the year of, of She Said, which we'll come on to maybe talk about a little bit more. Well, it should be but... the year of She Said. I mean, but it should have been more in the conversation. Anyway, that's a different podcast talking about Oscars not uh, maybe looking at female-led movies as much as they should. But that, anyway, but yes, we are talking on on the holy day. 
on the holiday, but one that mm-hmm. now Weinstein doesn't have so much of an impact over. But apparently now, uh, where we have the likes of Frances Fisher, she's now she's now the Weinstein of the of the time. <laughs> that shitster, yeah. <laughs> with maneuvers, uh, no one knew um, uh, she had within her. Amazing, um, but I will say that it's besides the Weinstein machine. I certainly wasn't into this film uh, for him, but. At the time that I first saw this, when it was in the cinemas in 2010, I guess I was, I'm going to, I reckon I must have been 18. To me, the King's Speech was as good as it got when I first saw it. I saw it in the cinema so many times. I was very much in the King's Speech camp. So when all the hate started, um, because it wasn't Social Network, I was really confused. I found Social Mm -hmm. Network at 18 to be really chilly and distant, and I couldn't buy into it. At that point in time, I obviously was more into sentimentality and um, emotional buy-in. And I very much got it. I remember literally sitting watching The King's Speech with my like feet up on the chair like wow this is so thrilling and now yeah. watching it back i was like goodness i was a different person like i still think it's a lovely film and i really yeah. enjoyed it but wow i i don't think it i don't think it is what i did um those years ago but still yes i i very much am not in the mood of of tearing it down because i actually think like you say it's very competently made there's really lovely performances mm. it's sweet it's funny it's charming um and yeah, Jennifer Ely is really cute. Now, I hadn't even clocked the Colin Firth thing. Maybe she was cast purely for that moment where he walks in the door, and I, is, you know, I don't yeah. believe you've met the the king. And it's like, ow, that is fun. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sold on the idea, even if it was just like that. Oh, let's get Jennifer Ely, and like this is too, um, too good to resist. But yeah, yeah, I I second everything you said. I mean, I I probably rated like I don't changed my rating of it that much over time like i like the social network i like the king's speech grand but you know i'm sure there was another movie i probably would have loved much more than those two um at the time but i as as, as scott will know particularly when it comes to Oscar conversation i'm like but they're all so good and like it's just an opinion at the end of the day it does not matter and we should not be tearing down movies um also something mm-hmm. that really hasn't been talked about enough is like left-handed stories are not spoken about enough in oh. in the world so to have the king's speech as like as one of the f- biggest left-handed um representation uh, representational films it's important to left-handers like me because i'm like the king oh. <laughs> so you are no but i did wasn't forced to uh, well not not forced to the degree that he was to write with my right hand certainly i might have other symptoms of what happened but i don't stutter okay gosh <laughs> It might explain a lot of other things. Please. Exactly, yeah. Maybe that's why... Maybe there's a lot of, of uh, uh, reasoning uh, from my lifestyle and such. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Um, well, that's great. I love that we all enjoy The King's Speech. So, yeah, it's a lovely Sunday film, you know? Nice. And Colin Farrell... Colin Farrell isn't in it. Now, Colin Firth is lovely in it. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love to have seen Colin Farrell. I'm a, I, I, I held my tongue earlier when you were talking about Pride Prejudice. You said Colin oh, did I? And... <laughs> oh, God, I didn't I'm, even clock I'm the worst. too much Farrell yeah. at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I'm always trying to get Irish people into stuff as well. So that is the other reason. Um, but no, I, I confuse names. So apologies for saying mm-hmm. earlier Colin Farrell's in Pride and Prejudice. He would have been a child. That would have been, that would have been wild. <laughs> I, I would like to watch it, but um, yeah. Maybe he will do a Jane Austen. He would be terrific. I mean, yeah, anyway. 
let's talk about Jennifer Ely. <laughs> so then in 2011, she has two quite, like, I think prestigious films, again, with a great cast. Um, the Ides of March, the George Clooney film, and Contagion, um, mm. which has a, had a life of its own because of um, COVID. So as you mentioned earlier, Scott, Ely plays a scientist racing to produce a vaccine and save humanity, which, you know was something I think people were interested in watching. I actually never watched this film when it came out, didn't watch it during COVID, didn't watch it in pre preparation for this, because I don't, I want to be in denial about COVID for the moment. And, um, but you, have you both seen it? Are you both fans of Contagion and what she's up to there? Well, I, I saw it at the time. Um, I have no um, thoughts or feelings of wanting to go back and watch it. Not, not because of, um, any ill feelings towards it because I think it's a fine feature it's just it's a bit too I like I don't understand the people who race to watch it when the pandemic yeah. first hit because that's I that's quite scary mm. <laughs> a peculiar choice that's quite frightening to yeah me. no yeah <laughs> but I think she's I think her role is is like kind of all the rest of the performers in the film where it's it's much to work with. I think the performer who I think about most from this film is Gwen Paltrow, and sometimes not for great thoughts, her just face just sticks yeah. out to me. From the, like, I think everyone is aware yes. of her role yes. in the film. The moment, the iconic moment. Yes, I say that Jennifer Ailey is the one that lives with me because she does. But there is also <laughs> that image of Gwyneth Paltrow's face that I'll always be like. Oh yes, there's no getting away from that one. Um, I really like Contagion. Haven't seen it since it came out. Also would want distance, especially during COVID. I certainly didn't want to go anywhere near anything like that. Um, but I think it's great. I mean, I'm a big Soderbergh fan and I love the variety of, of stuff that he puts out. And I love watching the sort of a landscape of Soderbergh cinema and reflecting back on it and what he was up to at any one time. And, and in many cases, what other films did he put out in the same year? Because surely also the busiest director working uh, in Hollywood ever. Um, yeah, so I would certainly recommend it. And I think Jennifer is great, but it's a big cast. So even though her role is very important, um, given what, uh, like she, she is the scientist working towards the cure, so obviously a very, very important part. And and again, she brings the emotional heft, which is very valuable within that film. But there's so many people that you know she doesn't necessarily have a huge chunk of screen time, but I think probably as much as anyone else. So it's a good one to watch for her, for sure. Yeah, I may never watch it, but glad. And I and I have seen out of the march but couldn't for life me really remember her I in it remember um, her in it no i can't remember her in it but great again that's another huge cast a lot of characters moving around um and she would be supporting but not leading um but here comes another ensemble film in a prestige sort of project where actually jennifer's supporting role is more central to the plot. She's very important in Zero Dark Thirty, the Catherine Bigelow film from 2012, um, which again is a Oscar nominee, Best Picture, and um, doesn't win, um, unlike The King's Speech. But she's really terrific. I mean, we've already talked about this a little bit, um, but Zero Dark Thirty follows uh, Jessica Chastain's character, Maya. It is Maya, not Maya. Yeah. Maya. Um, 
in the hunt for Osama bin Laden, essentially, and it works in like it's a really it's a really fascinating film. I mean, this is a a film which at the time got such a huge backlash because of its depiction of torture in particular, I feel like it's fair to say. That's what, like, the hangover of that movie, in my memory, is that people were so aggressive or, like, against it because of how it depicted torture. To, to illustrate the degree of which people were were talking about it, um, why can't I think of the, the guy who ran for presidency, John McCain? who had suffered torture in Vietnam, he wrote to the studio to be like, can you pull this or do something around this because this is too... too depicting port- torture in too ambiguous a way, if not in a positive light, as in torture was a helpful device in the finding of Bin Laden. Now, all of that aside, like the film operates in a very sort of thriller-esque way, um it's very effective it's very good it's all very good but when you talk about it in the real terms it is a bit like i don't know i find that a hard sort of thing to get past with this movie um and enjoy it um as a whole but i think it's i think it's a really well-made movie that's really engaging and works as a thriller um until i start thinking about it in real life terms because thankfully i don't have enough knowledge about war or um the world that it's depicting um there but i do like it as it operates as a film and i really love jennifer ely's part in it because jessica chastain's jessica chastain's character is very serious and you see kind of like another option of how somebody could operate (laughs) in this world and jennifer ely's having you know she's really dedicated to her job but she's having a nice time too like she's living her life you two hooked up yet hello i work with him i'm not that girl that fucks it's unbecoming so, no fooling around wouldn't hurt you. <sighs> so, no boyfriend. Mm-mm. You got any friends at all? Although she's kind of punished for that, and then Jessica Chastain goes further into the darker elements, let's say, or determination. Um, so, it is an interesting film. There's a, actually, it's really, I guess, loaded, but. Yeah, I'm glad to have revisited it because it's not a film I ever would would ever occur to me to go back and watch. Oh, um, okay. Well, then I'll talk to the sort not like the opposite because I think we feel similarly. But I love this film. Would go back and watch this film. I'm not America hoorah in any way. I'm not pro torture in any way. I think I maybe d- remove uh, the two sides of it. So. For me, it's a war procedural type film. I do like procedural films. I, my favourite subgenre is watching people who are exceptional at their jobs being exceptional at their jobs, and especially where they're giving moments to be incredibly confident about something that otherwise they perhaps ought not to be. Um, I think Jessica Chastain is revelationary incredible in this film. I think it's perfect casting. Uh, but... I think there's all the things that I find uncomfortable about the film, perhaps, like the torture, or even the extended sequence at the end, which is the moment of finding, you know, or or kind of, yeah, leading towards the finding of Bin Laden. I think those are important to be included, whether um, positive, you know, messagery loaded within or not. 
I think given the nature of the procedure and the process and that sort of um, drive behind the film and what it means for Jessica Chastain's character in particular, it's a journey for her. She goes through this and you could almost perhaps look at it in some ways as a piece of fiction um, because she is a mm-hmm. fictional character um, and and kind of the journey of a woman at the heart of something which feels so incredibly masculine or, or probably felt about in that sort of way with hindsight. So I'm a big fan of this film. I think Jennifer Ely is terrific, again, because she has an energy, like you said, Owen, that is so different to other people. In this, and you kind of touched upon this earlier, there's a kind of reliability to her in this. Like, you can feel a competence about this woman in her job. You can feel that she's lived in. She sort of kind of has a fun and more free energy than Jessica Chastain's character for sure but there is just this sturdy competence reliability and trust again in those eyes and that face which I think makes her a striking presence within the film her face is striking within these set pieces of rooms filled with men there's something about her which is just an incredibly welcome and reassuring presence so yeah that's a that's a Little insight into my feelings on Zero Dark Theory. What about you, Owen? Yeah, I loved the film at the time. Um, I, I haven't, I'm, I, ne- I haven't revisited it in the kind of ten years since it came out. I did revisit um, the first part of it um, for this Jennifer Ely uh, rewatch. I kind of stopped watching once. Jennifer Ely's part was no, was no was no longer there. Sure, dot dot dot. Yeah, um, but no, I I loved it at the time, and the con- the controversy. I guess I was just sort of, um, I just sort of looked past it because I just found it a bit kind of overblown, especially mm-hmm. during, like, especially the at the point in which the controversy hit its peak, and I think it was just, um one of those campaigning tech, uh, techniques from the campaigner man um, mm-hmm. who whose presence was still strong at this time. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, it kind of took down the film, mm. which I don't think it deserved to be because it's, it's a really great sort of thriller. It really moves quickly. It, it, the, set, the set pieces are so extraordinarily extraordinary are so exceptionally filmed and yeah. really kind of even just thinking about moments I like I remember the look the shots what is happening in the scenes like vividly even 10 years I was not having watched it again it just kind of sticks with you in only the best ways and I think mm. the contra- the controversy I guess it, it, it was just an, it, it's stupid basically to use the lack of a better word and I think, the, thankfully, the film kind of sticks strongly in the minds. I would say it's still a beloved film, decade mm, from yeah. yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to have revisited it for Jennifer Ely because I guess I would have taken for granted what she was doing in it. So yeah, and I think let about her her ending um, halfway through the film. I think that easily could have felt like. Oh, what a victim or what a uh, but instead it's like no like they are as you were saying scott so good at their job like they knew what the risks were they knew like there's a sense yeah. of it being part and parcel of this sort of this journey 
but there's not like emotion attached to it in a way that I think another filmmaker or another film would have done. If you think of a war film from the 1940s or something, that moment would have been true. Like, that's it. Let's go gung-ho and let's go and attack the whoever, the Japanese or whatever they were going to depict, the Germans. Um, but yeah, so I like it. Sorry, that's a long-winded way of saying I do. I agree with you. I probably won't ever watch the film again. I don't, I find it really unpleasant, <laughs> but it is really good. Oh, I yeah. think it's, I, I feel like what Owen described about some bits are so memorable though yeah. and exciting that I am drawn back to it to revisit the excitement of that. <clears throat> yeah, I just don't rewatch war films. I guess it's, it's not this film in particular. It's just not a, a genre or unless, I don't know. At least it's not very pro-American in a sort of old, old, old-fashioned way or pro-British, which a lot of the war films are. Um, yeah. Just talk once more about Jennifer. I do, I think that what happens with her character, while it does kind of um, exemplify what you were speaking about earlier in that sort of supporting the leading star um, and her role and how it it does affect what happens with the character, with the Maya, with the Jessica Chastain character going on, not so instantly it definitely kind of changes the character and i think with the work that jennifer does in the film it is that much more effective i think if, mm-hmm. if a different performer was in that role it wouldn't it wouldn't progress the rest of the film to where it goes as strongly as it does with jennifer in, in this in this yeah. role yeah and there is a sense of a loss you know in terms of watching the film and the people working mm-hmm. when she's gone um, but it is done, as you say, in kind of a gradual way, as opposed to sort of, I don't know, emotional stakes or sentimental, which I think easily just happen in war films. Um, and speaking of war films, uh, no, she was in A Little Chaos. No. <laughs> a Little Chaos, what a film. But um, she she's continuously working in these really small roles. So she's like in Robocop, as I mentioned, A, a Little Chaos, the Alan Rickman directed film where she plays the queen um, she is uh, does the first of uh, the series of 50 shades of gray in 2015 um, and beyond I actually don't know it's, it's over now right 50 shades of gray but there were three movies she's in all of them. yes um, <laughs> in 2016 we get which I think is a really l- wonderful film which most I've not widely seen little men the Iris Sachs film um, with uh, herself and Greg Kinnear as a couple who basically are part of a gentrification of an area and push out, um, uh, it's Paula Garcia, is it, out of, of a home that they've inherited. Really great film. I think um, Jennifer Ely's terrific in it. And we also get A Quiet Passion, another film which is kind of underseen by another great queer uh, filmmaker, Terence Davies. Um, and A Quiet Passion, Owen, was one film which I... I'm so glad you suggested us to rewatch because I had seen A Quiet Passion, could not for the life of me picture Jennifer Ely in it. But now rewatching it, I find it wild I didn't. Um, so like it's the story of Emily Dickinson played by Cynthia um, Nixon. Um, well, at the start, it's played by um, a younger version of everything until they do this am- amazing sort of portrait CGI, like morph into their older selves. Um, so Cynthia Nixon takes over as Emily Dickinson. And it's about her life, writing and uh, being uh, secluded in a way. And, and we see that with her mother and her father, her sister, played by Jennifer Ely, and her brother. 
and yeah it really is that like that is the film that's the setup it is about her life in that house with these characters interacting and Terence Davies is kind of a master of a slow burner sort of emotional journey where nothing happens but big things happen at the same time in a way I know he's made films that are not like that too but I'm really glad to have revisited it. My memory wasn't very positive of A Quiet Passion. I liked it, but this time I, I found it really nourishing. I thought it was really, really, I want to say lovely, but it was more than lovely. It, it really moved me. Um, so were you a fan, Owen, or, or was there another reason you had mentioned A Quiet Passion? Um, no, I'm definitely a fan of A Quiet Passion. I Terrence, I mean, it's it's very rare that I would not be a fan of a Terrence Davey feature. He just sort of, he, like, as you say, the slow burn, I find it really effective every time. I think I can understand why people might not necessarily connect with his films as much as, say, I would. But I think this is, is just another great example of how he kind of, it, how it, it just pulled me in to get into, I mean, I'm, I was aware of Emily Dickinson, poetry from, you know, in education systems when you have to read the poems and do the exams and stuff like that. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily explore her, who Emmy Dickinson was as a person. I think this film kind mm-hmm. of is a great biopic, but it doesn't feel like a biopic. It just feels like a film that happens to be following Emily Dickinson. It just happens mm-hmm. to be. It's not like it doesn't fit into the boxes of a dodgy biopic it just kind of feels much freer and much more alive i love that yeah that's so true it is i mean i'm i'm with you that i it would be rare for me not to be a fan uh, of a terence davies film i'm a big big fan love him uh and yeah i think this one has so many interesting elements artistically it's 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 just really interesting and unusual even to watch uh i love what you're saying that it, it feels freer and it, it just happens to be about i kind of like that as a way of looking at um it is not necessarily a biopic it certainly doesn't feel like one it, it more feels like a, a a character study and the kind of relationships which surround her um jennifer ely being key as her sister and the two of them together, Cynthia Nixon and Jennifer Ely, to me, make a very good pairing and very important, I think, tonally for this film. Um, there are a lot of feelings in this film. There's a lot of um, quiet sobbing, sometimes less quiet. Um, but the two of them in particular, you've got Cynthia Nixon as this sort of prickly-edged uh, Emily Dix- um, Dickinson and then Jennifer Ely, kinder, warmer, welcome you know, when she sort of walks into um, the scene, a, a gentleness again, just something that I reckon, I feel like we're surely onto something that casting directors must often when casting her, not just be looking for a very talented performer, but someone who just brings the right energy and dynamic for balance and for other performers to play against. I think Cynthia Nixon shines because she's working opposite Jennifer Ely as well, because I think they complement each other. What is it? From Austin. Likenesses of Austin and his bride-to-be, Susan Gilbert. Oh! Austin as handsome as ever. 
But she looks terrified. We must welcome her. It's great, yes. I I will champion pretty much any Terence Stevie's film. I'm a I'm a fan of this one. Yeah, and I think Jennifer Ely, because she's very um still almost or like conforms to this world of like women being decorative and silent or you know not doing much for a lot of the movie but towards the end in particular or maybe halfway through she has more and more of a voice and more of an identity and more of like you know we've been listening to emily dickinson talking about like what her feelings are about the world and what um she wants to change or she thinks is wrong etc etc but when we have jennifer ely vocalizing that in a much more personal way she's not thinking of a greater scale of like this is what a woman should be able to do she's talking about like you know emily really just you know come down the stairs or don't be rude or don't you know but she, you she's not saying it in an annoying way which i think would be very easy she's saying it as like enjoy life a little bit like you need to be easier on yourself and more than that you need to be easier because it's pissing me off oh, emily why do you behave like this he is a kind man and he was hurt I don't know. As soon as they get too close, I feel as if I'm suffocating. I think there's a really, she's, she's conveying a lot in the sequences she has. And yeah, you're dead right. Like I, I love Cynthia Nixon in general. I think, she, I mean, and I know all the stuff of now when they brought back Sex the City and her character doesn't make much sense and it's so over the top and camp. Um, but I really enjoy Cynthia Nixon as a screen presence, small or big. Um, so I'm really amazing that she got this lead part and that she gets to excel in it. Her breaking a plate when her dad has been telling her to behave better, more like a, a woman and he, suggest, he tells her the plate is dirty and she just smashes it in reaction. It's terrific. Like, so well done. Um, but yeah, so I'm really glad to have, have rewatched it. And yeah, just love spending time in a Der Terrence Davies sort of film like i the the tone of it is is i find so gorgeous um so yeah i liked it a lot so i'm so glad out of all these films this is the one i'm really grateful for being encouraged to rewatch. i really really liked it and it should have won best um cgi or best visual effects at the oscars however they do that it, <laughs> however they do that merging it's honestly it was like because they do it for what for five characters i'm like whoa 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 um love it and the other one person and one performance in the film that i absolutely loved this time was joanna bacon as the mother and i think i just think it was really powerful like as this sort of a person who has suffered because of social norms i'm going to think say suggest from what is depicted in the film but it has like a light in her life too like she is excited about life i really enjoyed I just really love that character. And I think if you had a Greta Gerwig or a, you know, somebody more established perhaps in the industry doing that, like you'd have a Meryl Streep or Emma Thompson or somebody doing that part. But to watch somebody like Joanna Bacon get that role and be, do it so perfectly, I really enjoy that. And the same for Cynthia Nixon, to be fair. No way is Greta Gerwig putting Cynthia Nixon in a lead part. Um, so I love that Terence Davies has this, kind of intuitive um, interest in actors and how he's, how this film was cast is similar to the rest of his films. Yeah, I think this is a, it's a great sort of um, double feature with his most recent film, Benediction. They both kind of get into poetry and storytelling. And again, they're non-traditional 
true life story tellings are not they're about real people but they're so much different and I think if you're going if you were a fan of Benediction from this year which I think I think has been viewed maybe not entirely by a lot of people but by yeah. enough people that if you've not seen his previous film A Quiet Passion I think you should good call yeah, yeah. watch all the Terrence Davies films I mean yeah. all of them I would say uh, but yes I agree A Quiet Passion is a is is up there um and it's a shame because again with cynthia nixon as well but jennifer ely it doesn't really like lead to anything huge like so we have the sequel to 50 shades of gray 50 shades darker in 2017 we have a very small incredible part in detroit the catherine bigelow film um a film called wetlands she's in the miseducation of cameron post um Vox Lux, which is an exciting film, I guess, but um, I don't know. I would have thought something like Quiet Passion might have opened some doors. Um, she does go back to theatre, I should say, in 2017 to do Oslo, which was a really celebrated play. Um, she's nominated for a Tony Award for Best Actress again. Doesn't win this time, but seeing as she's got two Tonys, great. Spread the wealth, all for that. I guess the most exciting films, which we've, we've mentioned both already, so St. Maud happens in 2019, and now that is a film to build on what we've seen of Jennifer Ely. It is a, a wonderful kind of horror, campy, witchy, ghost-like film where we see Morford Clark as a nurse who comes into the home of Jennifer Ely to look after her but is she <laughs> what are the motivations what are these characters getting out of it the the setup of this story like this ghostly like house or like a victorian old house in a way I, maybe victorian's not the right description of this house but it is like an old house which you could imagine in a hitchcock film and um this nurse turning up to look after this kind of temptuous sort of character dangerous um very confident does not like independent but because of her physical disabilities unable to be um independent it's just such a great dynamic between this nurse who is a kind of a bible bashing person but she's not she's like we can we know from the off something is not quite right with this character because they're like leaning on religion as a kind of a nece necessity to to get through life um, they're unhinged, I guess is the best way to describe um, this nurse. Um, but yeah, what do you guys make of, of St. Maud? Yeah, I St. Maud is... It, I, I, I anticipated that film so much because it premiered in 2019, I think the Sundance Film Festival, and it took so long for it to be released. And I just remember the whole time being like, I need to see this film. People are saying these such incredible things about it. And when I finally did watch it, I was blown away. I think it's... Yeah. I'm not sure if the director has done a film prior, but I think no, she... No, this was her debut, yeah. So we should say Rose Glass, yeah. Yeah, and she went on... Sorry, because I think this... I think Rose Glass is a name we're all going to know very well in like 10, 15 years' time because her next film is with Kirsten Stewart. Um, and I just think... Yeah. Like, what a, what a competent, like, debut. Like, how amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think... It's 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 frightening in ways that films attempt to be. I think it it frightens you both physically, but most importantly mentally. I think it's 
it plays with you um, in yeah. sort of your expectations and the kind of eeriness of the whole thing. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a type of film that I love because the buzz and um, reception of it is built on this quality. And I think when pe- people recommend it because of its strong quality and it's just, this is, and, and especially with it, Jennifer Ely being such a massive part of it. I, I mean, I know we're, it's, we're still in the kind of five year span since it was released. I'm hopeful that I think this, like something like this would lead to more opportunities because is that incredible in it and re- and the director really gives her the space to kind of um, impress. Yeah, but I know I just I love Saint Maud and I'm just so glad that it it took two years, but I was able to see it. I I should I was going to rewatch it before this, but I was like I don't know if today I was in the mood to be scared as it sets me off. <laughs> it is frightening, and she she is. I was saying this actually to Scott the other day. Like something I like looking at it again now is like it's almost like Betty Davis or something. Like the the tone of what Jennifer Ely's bringing. It's this. I just don't think we get so many characters like that. She is like she is shit stirring the person who is there to look after her. Maud is my savior, you see. She's been looking out for me in more ways than one. But you got a little carried away, didn't you? So what is it? Am I indecent? No, you're lost. There's something really exciting about watching her have this power and to know this nurse will always kind of look after them because maybe the religious stuff. Like when she tells her like that she's queer um, and is like poking at um, Morford Clark's nurse to be like, what's she going to do? What's she going to do? And then at the party when she is mocking her in front of everybody as Morford Clark's doing her job, I, I find it all so exciting to watch um and yeah i would love if people had something about this sort of again like i was saying like she has this strength in terms of her persona and she does this so well in this film which easily could have been i don't know i I feel like it could have been maybe one note but there's something about all the things she's doing yeah i just i just was trying to figure out like how what is the strength here of playing a character who physically is not able to look after themselves but they, in their head, are like, I'm going to fuck up the person that's responsible for me. <laughs> I just, it's like, what is going on there? Like, Because it's not like she's self-destructive in a way. She just is like, this is how she enjoys life. And But there, it's believable. I just don't think I'd believe that in my own world if I, if I was in, engaging with this. I guess it's a horror tone. But I found it so enjoyable to watch um, Jennifer treat Morford Clark this way. Because Morpher Clark is a pretty <laughs> disturbed and awful person in the film. Yeah, it's quite something. I would um for for anyone who perhaps likes their um double bills thematically similar but tonally pulls apart, I would recommend this alongside um Passionfish. Uh if you want to see um uh, Alfrey Woodard. <laughs> Yeah, a because... perfect double bill because oh they're exactly the same. No, no, tonally, they are a million miles away from each other. It's just another film I love and always happy to shout out about. It, this film is exciting for all of the reasons you both describe. I love that it dares to be literal or at least hint at that in a way that 
other lesser films wouldn't and everything would remain uh, kind of boringly ambiguous and when you dare to be literal and dare to take that risk in terms of its connection the lead character's connection to the spiritual space however you want to kind of uh, look at it mm. i i really enjoy how literal it is um and especially how that manifests towards the end and how we get to see jennifer ailey towards the end yeah. it's kind of this evolution of a character so for every other film we've described i've talked about this kindness softness warmth where here she's a serpent i think she is a is, is a snake woman um, and I love getting to watch the arc of her character and how it plays against Morpheus Clark's character as Maud. Mm. It's really, really something I'm a big fan and recommend it highly like both of you do. It might be my favourite Jennifer Ely film. I mean, I'm going to go still Zero Dark Thirty, but I, I love this, yes. I can absolutely um, see why you would say that. It's definitely one of the strongest films, not just as a film, but also to showcase her mm. at her greatest. And I think that is an, is an added bonus to why you would think of it as her greatest film. And I do think in a, you know, so the, we should say St. Maud was nominated at the BAFTA Film Awards for Outstanding British Film and debut by a British writer, director, or producer. And it is a shame that it didn't find a way to include Jennifer Ely and Morford Clark, um, who I think is exceptional. This people might know Morford Clark better for the new Lord of the Rings TV show Ring of Power, where she plays Gladriel, or I was about to say Kate Blanchett, but she she does not play Kate Blanchett. <laughs> she plays Glad it is Gladriel, right? That's the Gladriel. Yes, yes, yes. Gladriel. Mm -hmm. Apologies, um, but yeah. Um, I, while we can still hope that Jennifer Ely will get more from St. Maud, and the next two films, one was a film I've never heard of before, with the title which made me giggle when I first heard it, John and the Hole, um, which uh, oh. <laughs> is not gay porn. It is a film about a little boy being stuck in a hole. Um, and then She Said, which we, we've talked about already, Um and we've already talked about Jennifer Ely's place in that, but I do hope, again, that that part leads to more. Like, I, it's, she said it's a type of movie which somehow didn't find an audience. Maybe it's too close to what's happened with the Me Too movement, but it certainly wasn't as successful as perhaps no. it could have been or deserved to be as a very solid film about you know, a very important subject, but told in a really ent entertaining way with loads of gr gr great performances in it. Um, yeah, so so perhaps maybe this is a trend of hers of like films coming out that aren't quite connecting with audiences. Um, in films like uh, The Quiet Passion, St. Maud, and She Said, and hopefully over time it kind of just builds and, and something big does change in, in her career or she just keeps getting these really great supporting parts where we can just enjoy her in these really solid exciting films mm -hmm. yeah but yeah is there anything for, about she said and her in it that you'd like to add um uh, uh, in uh, addition to what we said earlier um i just think it's um the moment in the film where she's at by the seaside 
um, telling the story about what happened is a really incredible moment for mm. her and for the film. I think the way that the film chooses to not show the act, the way it chooses mm. to show the room and those details and allow Jennifer to, through voiceover, tell the story and so honestly and so um, effectively tell the story is a really great cinematic choice. I just felt that it was this huge error of judgment that sort of marked me and all my decisions. And I felt such shame that I let him do that. And I think yeah. a moment like that is going to get overlooked because it's much smarter than... I guess mainstream audiences would want they would want the story to be explosive. They want mm. the, they would want the screaming. They would they would want to see it. And I think the film going out of its way to never show someone being abused. I think the, the I mean the closest it gets to that is the opening shot of the young Jennifer Ely character running down the streets of somewhere in Ireland, Belfast. Is that it? I think I could be wrong. Um, somewhere, somewhere. Um, no, no, no. After... It is. Yeah, yeah. No, and it, we should say it's ba- like so that it's a real character, Laura Madden, who was one of the first women to come forward alongside Ashley Judd. Um, yeah, and so what we we see depicted at the start of the film, yeah, that is Ireland, and that's all. Re- like she gets to work in the film industry because she stumbles along a Harvey Weinstein set. Um, yeah, uh, we should say Jennifer is not doing an Irish accent in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Thank I could God. imagine she would do an effective one because she's, well, I don't know. Her accent is so unplaceable for me sometimes. Yeah. Even just hearing her speak in interviews that I could imagine her doing an Irish but, but anyway, back to her. And she said, I think it, it is a performance that stuck with me since I saw it. I, I do believe it to be one of the best performances of the past year of film. Yeah. Um, and... And it really could have been, if the film was really taken up like that, or her and Samantha Morton easily could have been in the conversation for the supporting actress. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I personally would have had her in the supporting actress lineup of my dreams. Um, I think she, she just, I think she does enough with, she's a definitive supporting character. And I think, unfortunately, part of why she was overlooked was because of a co-star of hers, being placed down in the awards. Yeah. Who is, is very much not a supporting character when you look at her alongside the cameo roles of Morton and Ely. What yeah. exactly are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with Carrie Mulligan. But yes, I, I think um, I think you're dead right. Yeah, that, that kind of category placing is a real shame for actors like Jennifer Ely or Samantha Morton. Um but yeah, even, I mean, to be fair, though, even if they placed them differently this year, I don't know if, I don't think that would have happened for them. Um, oh, yeah. Do you know what's funny? Think, yeah, thinking of Jennifer now, like, there's a bit, like, it's the bit where she, she, the phone call, and, like, she's kind of being harassed again about, like, you have to be quiet, and she puts the phone down, and there's a moment there, I'm like, whoa, like, that's, that is so good. Like, you understand this character totally, and unlike some films where you have to have music or something like telling you in such a very kind of specific way, it's all Jennifer Ely's performance. Um, 
Yeah, really, at the very least, she should have got a SAG award for Best Ensemble, perhaps, or a nomination. That would have been, that would actually been a really great way to have um, celebrated, she said, at this award season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. You're making, both of you talking about it, make me want to, like, rewatch it right now. Because it also, to tie back to what I said about, like, Zero Dark Thirty and that kind of sub-genre I love, it's, it's people being exceptional at their work and choosing to do something challenging. And for anyone else who's on that um, that niche, perhaps train with me in terms of genre love, it's a great one. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe Jennifer has anything announced upcoming. He says, un- unconvinced of his own research. Well, she's going to be in the new Dead Ringer series, the one with Rachel Weisz, the TV show that's premiering, I think in April, course, yeah. very soon. So she has a role in it, so... Hopefully it's something for her to play with. Very exciting. Yes, and I can't even... Yeah, so there's no films currently, but let's hope conversations are happening and she'll she'll, she'll find her way. But I, again, just to reiterate how happy I am that you brought her to us to focus on because I will forever be now a Jennifer Ely stan. Now, instead of talking about Victor Garber in a nightclub at 2 a.m. To, to people who don't want to hear about it. I'm talking about Jennifer Ely instead. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. And to round off everything, we're going to select one film we'd love to see her do or a filmmaker we'd like her to see connected with in her future. So, I don't know if you've prepared something, Owen, and if you'd like to go first. Um, I hadn't prepared anything, but direct just came to mind, so... Yes. Um, so I think the director that I would like to see her work with is Steve McQueen. I think yes. he, he, I mean, the film, I mean, he's made what, one, two, three, four films and then small acts of, I guess, yeah. nine, ten, basically. Yeah. Cr- and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and each one of them is, I love each and every one of them. And the, the work he gets out of the women he casts, whether it's, Carrie Mulligan, and um, all the cast of Widows, Lupita Nyong'o, and um, mm. or any of the cast of Small Acts. I think that would be a one. Um, and his upcoming star, Saoirse Ronan, I would expect to do great things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think he can get so much out of small supporting characters. That's where women, especially, thrive in his films. Um, yeah. Would I think? She could play any type of role in any of the films he's made. She he could she has that she can contains that coldness that he I feel like he would find so exhilarating and her facial work especially would be something I think feel like he could really use extremely well. And what about you, Scott? Um Gosh, there's so many. I I find this conversation really invigorating. So I had one in mind, and then during the course of this, I actually have thought of someone else. So I'm going to go with that one mm-hmm. as my main one. So I think it's exciting seeing her work with directors, filmmakers who present something perhaps more challenging. And talking also about that sort of ghostly presence, I I kind of am interested in tapping into that. So a filmmaker who is incredible at mining amazing performances from the um, stars he has in his films because of what is written for them, and I assume some really exciting direction, is 
Jonathan Glazer, who we haven't seen a film from in a long time. And if we were to get something in the ghostly realm, so say we were to have a film focused on a character who has a connection to, like, sorry, the the spiritual world or um, the departed world or whatever it might be, and Jennifer Ely is going to play that character, is it is perhaps like a medium sort, someone who is connected to that that realm. I think that would be a wonderful combination if we think tonally of what we've had from Under the Skin in particular, but also Birth. Um, I reckon that could be a really exciting combo. The one that I had initially in my head uh, is quite different, but also just someone who draws a lot from naturalistic performers, and that's Joanna Hogg. If I think of mm. Unrelated in particular, um, I would love to see Jennifer Ely get to play that sort of role in a very naturalistic environment. And I can imagine that being a, a pairing that would also work very well. So that was mine. What about you, Michael? Mine, like, I also have changed my mind during this conversation. Um, and I just don't think, I can't think of what, so James Ivory, working with James Ivory, who, you know, he's in his 90s. He focuses on, like, adaptations of books. I can't think of a book really for Jennifer Ely, but the tone. So James Ivory, you know, Howard's End, A Room with a View, um, wrote the script, although I'm not sure we saw much of it in Call Me By Your Name um, recently. Um, but something about, like, how he explores characters who, particularly women, who are without agency or deserve to have more agency and just how you spend time with them and how they explore the world around them. I just thought it, she'd fit really well because there's an element of like performance in the films that he's he's worked on um, with a real sort of genuine heart underneath, which I think Jennifer Ely would be terrific at performing. Um, so I don't know. I'm thinking some sort of, let's say a woman in, in the 80s just trying to get through the week or something. And something really exciting happens. Maybe maybe she wants to... Maybe, actually, let's re get James Ivory to adapt The Hours again. And let's have, like, a free f kind of form sort of thing. I actually... The Hours is a book I really like. A film that I think is grand. But I do think there's a more kind of creative sort of beautiful film that could be made out of that story. Which is not to discredit the other one. It's just I think there's something else that could be done. And actually, James Ivory would be a, a great... Um, fit with that and I'd have Jennifer Ely playing all the women seeing as it's her podcast and and, and I can do that <laughs> I was just about to say that I was just about to say oh. what would you think of her playing all the roles yes absolutely I mean because that? I'd want to see her as the Eileen Atkins woman in the flower shop and I want to see her as Virginia Woolf do you know I'm obsessed the hours of the film I'm obsessed with like the minute little performance like Tony Collette coming in for like a handful of seconds to to steal the film from from everyone else I find wild um and yeah anyway sorry that's a lot and also not just the female characters I think Jennifer Ely could also play the men so yeah perfect so that's my wish I would love to see her playing against herself in the train seat in the train scene <laughs> oh my I god I'm dying in this town Leonard and it's like you are Leonard it's also because it's like it's all in one person's mind I think this is actually could be the best film ever made yeah <laughs> I'm sold and she surely has to get Oscar and or some awards attention if she did that <laughs> Yeah, um, I should have loads of props like noses um, like I don't know what else noses just one nose would be fine um, 
It'd be like everything everywhere all at once, but the hours version where we just see all the different ways we can have Jennifer Ely in it. Um, oh, anyway, that's the wildest suggestion I've ever had on this podcast. But but that's the excitement I have now for Jennifer Ely. So thank you so much. Um, yeah. And thank you so like for joining. Like it has been such a pleasure. We'll have to have you back another time. Um, Owen, if you'll if you'll come, um, of course. Um, where can people find you or follow you or is there anything you want to shout about yeah so you can find me daily at this stage on Twitter um, at my name uh, E-O-I-N-D-I-I-L-Y I include the I differentiated from my name but I post regularly there about film TV um, you can find me on Letterboxd as well my kind of movie viewing is kind of taking a bit of a slow stale pace at the moment as I'm just kind of new things I'm kind of taking pleasure in re-watching things because Mm. for so long I've been seeking to see new and not taking the time to re-watch and I find it so much pleasurable re-watching things that I love Um, and now getting to daily recommend them on my Twitter which is something that I try to do with daily I'm on day 71 today and another 200 nice. something to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's where you can find me. Um, I'm, I've, I've had such a pleasure being here. I also appreciated the very chaotic um, hours adaptation, and I cannot wait to see you fund that project. Surely, I think Meryl and Nicole and Julianne at least will want to give money towards that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and where can people find us, Scott? Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at don't know her underscore pod or if you fancy dropping us an email because that is still a thing too you can do that at don't know her pod at gmail.com brilliant please do rate review us it really helps other people find us and yet share with other people that you think might be interested and yes do pay more attention to those actors who you may not appreciate that's what yeah. i've learned in this episode i've i honestly feel so invigorated and excited to to go and visit others that we may have not been like we maybe had them on the list for a long time and not been terribly excited to go there i say we do it and we might come out the other side being like wow why was i not screaming this name or it'd be the first time on an episode we say we don't like this person. Well, fucking we spend shit time watching don't their watch films, any of so this person. We're gonna have to do it. Um, <laughs> but yes, so yeah, thank you so much, Owen, for opening the door and for joining yeah. us again. And yeah, Thanks, goodbye, Owen. everybody. Thank you so much. Bye bye.